and I, I probably assume that most of you are too. It helps that he wrote a big chunk of the Bible, and so we hear a lot about him. You know, but he, he's the disciple that got things done. He's the one, he's one of those driven people, you know, he's focused on the task at hand, and he sees the big vision, and he takes charge to make sure that the vision becomes reality. He saw what Jesus wanted. He wanted, he knew there needed to be an outbreak of the Holy Spirit, that the church was going to explode across the world. And he was, uh, he was the one that was going to make it happen with God's help. And he seems to have the ability to work long hours, to travel very long distances. He knows how to face challenges and setbacks without wavering from the task at hand. He's one of those very effective people who can get things done. And if hypothetically I had an opportunity to meet all the New Testament disciples, let's say we're at some kind of conference in heaven that we went to, and the, the, um, the name of the conference was Meet the Twelve, or Meet the Disciples of the New Testament, you know, Paul would be the one, I think, that's going to pack out the room. And I'd want to be there, and I'd want to hear from him. Is anyone with me on that? But let's be honest. If there was a breakout session and we had choices between Paul, Peter, John, and others, I wonder who would pull the biggest crowd. I wonder who we'd want to go and hear. There is, though, another disciple from the New Testament that has always interested me. He wasn't one of the big 12. None of his work actually made it into the Bible. But I like what I read about Barnabas. I like this guy. I like his style. He kind of seems more understated. He's the quiet achiever. He seems humble when we read about him, the glimpses we get of him anyway. He was more patient with people than Paul was. I like his pastoral heart. You know, there's no writings from Barnabas in the New Testament. There are some manuscripts that have been attributed to him, but they're not sure if it's him or not. In fact, they doubt that they were his. There's the Epistle of Barnabas and there's the Acts of Barnabas. You can actually find them online if you want to read them, but they're not scripture. They're not in the Bible. There's things in them that contradicted what we would call orthodox uh, teaching or theology. So they didn't make the cut. We, they may not have been from him. But today... I want to bring some lessons from Barnabas that are based in the scriptures that we have. You know, his actual name was Joseph. Did we know that? We're about to hear that. It's in the word. The disciples, they decided they're going to call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great name to be given. And that's the name that's stuck, and for good reason. But that little tiny snippet of information tells us a lot about him, doesn't it? Son of encouragement. Barnabas. You could do a lot worse than have a nickname or a name that means uh, the encourager. And I like encouragers. I love encouragers. They do a lot, yeah, they do a lot of good in the church and in people's lives and in families. And quite frankly, we should all be encouragers. This morning, I want to look at what can we learn about Barnabas from the New Testament? What are the lessons that we can learn? And here's the first one that we find about Barnabas. Number one is that he gave generously and sacrificially. It's from Acts 4, 32 to 37. It's on the screen behind me if you want to follow along. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt 
that what they owed was, owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Just let that sink in for a second. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Now I note that Luke doesn't say that Barnabas sold a field and brought 10% of the money. That's not my phone, is it? (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Because that would have been embarrassing. (laughs) It didn't say that he brought 10%. It didn't say that he brought 50%. He sold a parcel of land he owned and he brought the money to the apostles to go to the poor. Now that is trusting God, isn't it? To be able to say, that large asset that I've worked hard for, hard for that doesn't belong to me, God's telling me to do something with it. And if God says to give it, I'm going to give it. That is trusting God. And it appears that it wasn't just Barnabas who was doing this. All of the new church was doing this kind of thing. It's no wonder Luke says that God's great blessing was upon these first Christians. They knew how to give. They knew how to be generous to each other. In fact, Giving is what the early church is known for. Generosity comes through the pages. It was their culture. They embraced generosity and sacrificial giving. In the early church, giving was part of their worship. And according to the scripture, what we just read there in verse 33, God blessed them. And I have no doubt that the example Barnabas gave was a great encouragement to the others in the church community too. You know, the very fact it's recorded in the early church history here means that it wasn't actually a secret. And I'm sure Barnabas didn't share what he did for his own pride. I'd say he shared it because he was an encourager and he wanted to bless others. Luke mentions it in Acts for a reason. Barnabas gave generously and sacrificially. The second thing we learned about him was that he demonstrated real grace and he loved reconciliation. So we're in Acts 9 now. We've moved ahead in time. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer, which is understandable when you think about what Saul used to get up to. Barnabas brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Now, understandably, the disciples are skeptical, aren't they? And you can understand why they would be. They didn't want anything to do with Saul, who would be known as Paul, even though he says he's become one of them. He was the man who had attacked them and had driven many from their homes and towns and had sent some to prison and had even stood by and allowed people to be killed because of their belief In Jesus, that was Paul. They did that. I mean, you can't blame them for wanting nothing to do with him. We've got to put ourselves in their shoes for a second. The guy that was persecuting you, literally, not just through things said in the newspaper or whatever, shows up in church and says, I'm one of you guys now. 
That would be hard to take. But this is here where I'm, I'm challenged by Barnabas because he was first to consider what is God doing with this man. He was first. And it wouldn't have been easy for him. We know Paul was, let's say, somewhat arrogant and prideful, at least before this point. But Barnabas took a risk on Paul because of his faith in Jesus. He was the first to consider what love your enemies meant, you know, in this situation. Those were Jesus' words, after all. He was the first to take a risk and to give Paul a second chance. And for the sake of the gospel, which says, forgive 70 times 7 and show grace like Jesus would show grace to us. So Barnabas was really living out his faith. He took the very person who had been persecuting them and told them about Paul's change and that he believed him when he said he was changed in this new and, you know what, somewhat shaky relationship between Paul and the apostles began, which went on to be very strong and very powerful and very fruitful because, I believe, because Barnabas showed the way. He was the encourager. He decided to be the peacemaker and to believe God can change people. And more than that, to love people despite what they had done or to hurt us in the past. He looked beyond those things. Barnabas saw the potential in Paul, and that's what encouragers, quite frankly, do best. They can see through our outer veneer and the things that we may have done wrong, and they see the potential like God does. That's what encouragers do. This is not just challenging to us, church. It's inspirational. When people have done the wrong thing by us or hurt us in some way, we feel justified sometimes in writing them off. And that's not God's way. We look deeper into what God is doing or can do in people. And if Paul can be transformed by God, hey, anybody can be transformed. There is hope for everybody. And that's what Paul did, and that's what we need to be able to do too. Let's be like Barnabas, though, and, and have faith that God can do miracles in people and give people a second chance and a third chance, and he, we know he never gives up on anybody. Of course, there's boundaries. You know, I always mention these things when I make these sorts of sermons. There's boundaries that are important. I'm not advocating for putting yourself back into any kind of abusive relationship or situation or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying, though, that Barnabas was a good friend to Paul when most of the world would say, you shouldn't be. He's, we're done with him. The outcome of what Barnabas did was world-changing. Ironically, Paul himself didn't learn this lesson from Barnabas, at least not at first. We're going to jump years ahead now after Barnabas and Paul had been serving together for a long time in the mission field out in the world. So in Acts 15, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. 
their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark in, with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he left, and the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. Remember, Paul was the driven guy, the one on a mission. And when he felt like someone let him down or wasn't fully on board, the evidence here is that he would say no. And he'd kind of write them off a little bit and look for someone else. And he cuts them from his, his inner team of missionaries at this point. Kind of forgot what Barnabas had done for him years earlier. But, you know, Barnabas didn't. Because he was still about second chances. He still was about the person. He was about grace and empathy. And sadly, it meant Paul and Barnabas, they went their separate way at this point in, in ministry because of that. The scriptures then go on to be a bit silent regarding this relationship and, and the breakdown that happened about Barnabas because the story tends to stay with, with Paul, as we know, and Acts that follows him around. But there are indicators of reconciliation. Firstly, later when Paul was in prison, later in time, he writes to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. And so, you know, that that kind of that useless deserter Mark that Paul once had a problem with is now a friend and he considers him to be helpful and he wants to be with him. So we know something's gone on, right? We know that reconciliation has happened. And I bet you Barnabas played a part in that because the evidence is that's what he does. And so even though there's no record of Scripture of Paul and Barnabas being reconciled, I think the fact that Mark and Paul are close again, according to what we read in 2 Timothy that the same could be said of Barnabas. I think that he and Paul did reconcile. And he was the one that was always about grace, that was always about second chances, that was always about reconciliation. And I believe that Paul learned that lesson from him as well. So the third thing we learn about from him is that he made encouragement his mission. Now we're just going to go backwards in time a little bit again. I've been moving you around in Acts. And we know Acts spans a lot of years, right? So we're back in Acts 11 now. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as, fast, as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was strong in faith and many people were brought to the Lord. What a great testimony to him at the end there about Barnabas. Filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. I really like this guy. He made it his mission to bring encouragement. And one of the ingredients of encouragement, by the way, is joy. You can't really do encouragement without joy. I'm just going to say, you can give it a go if you want. But it doesn't come across very good. <laughs> you can try to encourage someone without joy. But I don't think it'll work. If you lack joy in your own life, the ability to encourage others, it's going to be limited. 
if you want to be an encourager, and I think God calls us all to be encouragers, you should start with getting some joy in your life first. Because the people with joy, I can tell you now, they're the encouragers. And every one of them just said amen. When I think of encouragers in this church, inevitably, they are the same people who walk through life and the joy just flows out of them. The two go together. And I note that Luke's Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Key thing. And strong in faith. And this man of encouragement brought many to the Lord. What an amazing combination that is. Who wants to be like that? Filled with the Spirit. A man of faith. A good man. Filled with joy and an encourager and brings people to the Lord. There's some ingredients there for us, church, if we want to lead people to God, to Jesus. Those things will get us there. Encouragement is powerful. It strengthens churches. It can pull people up from low points. It can get people through hard times. It keeps us going. It builds relationships. It's the foundation for a whole new generation of leaders, by the way, is encouragement. If it wasn't for encouragement for people like Pastor Lex and others, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. It's big. If it wasn't for encouragement, thousands of men and women would have quit what God had called them to do. Encouragers see people through hard times and they help them grow. Encouragers literally grow the church. They add to the church. They don't generally take from the church. They're filled with joy. They can change the course of someone's life. They see the potential in people. And they know that because people are the foundation of churches and organizations. Encouragers are builders. It's through encouragement that lives and movements move forward. But be careful. Because if we're not encouragers, we can be in danger of being wreckers. A person who doesn't know how to encourage is usually good at judging and finding a fault in others instead of being a builder. They can hinder people's growth. They can undermine churches and organizations, and they don't even realize they're doing it. It's the opposite to encouragement. Now, I'm not saying that being an encourager doesn't mean honest conversations and honest reviews of, of what we do and how we do it. And to ignore those things actually doesn't bring encouragement because it can lead to frustration and set people up to fail and sometimes even be embarrassed. But at the very core of who we are and what we are about is a love of people first and so therefore encouragement should flow. It lifts people up. It gives second chances. It sees the best in people and their potential. It knows how to spur others on. And I want to challenge us today, church, to be a church of Barnabases. Barnabases. Yeah, that's how you say it. To be a church where every single person is an encourager. What do you reckon? When you see someone serving, give them some encouragement. When you see someone struggling, give them encouragement. Maybe give them some words and a gift or some practical help. Not just, a, not just a simple text message, as good as they are. Find out a way to bring deep encouragement to people. See the person made in God's image foremost, like Barnabas did. He looked over, past all the bad stuff. See the person that Jesus loves so much that he died for that person 
So why wouldn't I encourage them if that's how much Jesus loves them? And I want to challenge every one of us today. Let's be encouragers. Those of you from an older generation, you know how hard life is. You've had to learn endurance. You've been through the fire. Make it your mission to encourage others, the younger people in the church. Young people, honor the older generation for what they have done before us and encourage them for that, for what they've given to the church for so many years. And I've said before, let's be known as a church that embraces people. And I've said before, let's be known as a church that worships God. And I've said before, let's be a church that is known for the love of the word and for discipleship. And today I'm adding, let's be known as a church that encourages like Barnabas does. If you serve in a ministry like the op shop, encourage the people who come in there. You know, that's why a lot of them come back. It's because they find a place where people embrace them and encourage them. If you're with the play group or anything else in the church, to be honest, even in your small groups, whatever it is, make it a place of encouragement. Encourage the people serving in the teams. You know, these guys here, some of them have been here for all four services. I note, I think it was Julie. You've done four, right? Three, okay. Still good. <laughs> Felt like four. And others who've been working hard. Well done, you guys. Thank you. They're serving God faithfully, giving up their time. They deserve our encouragement. The kids and youth leaders need our encouragement because what they're doing is laying out an amazing foundation for the future and for your young people. Good on you guys. If you're serving in the kids' ministry, the youth ministry, you're doing awesome. Keep going. When someone nervously steps out in faith and they share a devotion, you know, like on a Wednesday night or something like that, or, or you know, they might preach for the, the, the first time, say, Bring some encouragement because it's hard and we know that God's given them something to share anyway. It's for us. Encouragers, by the way, are more concerned with what's happening with others than what's happening with themselves. The motivation for an encourager is to see others grow and do well. It does come from a place of giving it's not inward looking. We never encourage in order to receive something in return. You know, I would hope that that would happen anyway if we're all doing it. But that's not our motivation. The motivation is not for us to receive, it's to give. Let's be a church of encouragers like Barnabas. Joy-filled, faith-filled, Holy Spirit-filled encouragers because those are the best people, the best kind of encouragers. And I want to encourage you this week. I want to challenge you this week. Here's my challenge. You know I love to give a challenge at the end of a sermon. And I love it even more when you tell me you do them. This week, each day, for the next seven days, encourage one person each day. Encourage just one person each day. Not just a quick text message, although that can be good. Maybe a longer one. If that's all you're going to do, but do something that takes a little bit of time and effort. Handwritten notes are great. I got one in the mail this week from one of you who's sitting here this morning in my letterbox with a stamp on it. 
made me feel special. And the words lifted me up. Thank you. Why don't you do that this week? A handwritten note, a phone call, buy a cup of coffee for someone. Sit down, take a minute or two. Think of what you would have personally or what you would personally appreciate about that person and set out to let them know. Bring the joy, bring the love, bring the generosity that Barnabas did. And if this becomes your habit, you're going to be doing your bit to change the world, I promise you, like, like our friend Barnabas did. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for your word that challenges us and changes us. And I thank you for faithful disciples like Barnabas and Paul and Silas and John and Peter and, and Timothy and Phoebe and uh, Mary and uh, all those others, Lord, who gave everything for you, God. And, uh, you know, and they showed us the way. They showed us how to really live for you, God, and to live that life to the full that you've called us to. I imagine, God, if we became encouragers like Barnabas, that we would live a, full more life, a more full life. And I would like that for everybody here, God. And we pray that you will help us to see past sometimes a hard exterior, to see past sometimes people's words and actions and to give second chances and to encourage people and to lift people up. To be that church, Lord, for every single one of us here this morning. I pray, God, when people come here, yes, they love the worship. Yes, they love the atmosphere and the friendliness, but they find encouragement. They find people filled with joy, the Holy Spirit, and of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.